on episode 98 of the High Performance Leadership Podcast, Hiring Right the First Time. I think we both know how expensive it is to get hiring wrong. It takes time to find out if you've made a mistake. You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast, insights and information from world-class leadership experts. Welcome to the show. I'm Randy Lane. Today, we're talking with Mac Pritchard. He's the founder of MaxList, a regional job board that helps people build skills, find jobs, and grow their careers. We talk about the hiring process from the perspective of the company and the potential hire. He tells us red flags to look out for and ways to find the jobs that aren't posted anywhere. And now, here's my conversation with Mac. My name is Mac Pritchard, and I'm the founder and publisher of MaxList. It's an e-commerce site in Portland, Oregon, that helps job seekers and employers, not only across the Pacific Northwest, but across the United States, find great jobs and terrific candidates. So how'd you get into that? My career has been in communications in government, politics, and nonprofits, Randy. And I learned after two long periods of unemployment early in my career about the importance of networking, staying in touch with people in my industry. And one way I hit upon doing that 18 years ago now was to share job postings with my professional colleagues and contacts. And it is today that to the creation of our e-commerce site, maxlist.org, which today publishes about 500 job postings a month. As I was reading your bio, I was kind of thinking about some different things around the hiring processes that I was interested in. And the first thing that struck me was that, you know, we are in a interesting period in time where unemployment is lower than it's been in a very long time. For most people, that's a good thing because that means they're working, but at the same time, it can pose some challenges. So what are some of the, the good and the bad about the situation we're in now? Well, it depends on where you sit, Randy. Mm -hmm. Let's start with employers. It is harder today because of the record low unemployment rate for hiring managers to find great candidates. Mm -hmm. And when they do find those people, they have to work harder to persuade them to join the company or the organization. That means that companies have to look at the way they do hiring because uh, it is a a job candidates uh, market right now for many people, not everybody, but for the highly skilled, the highly successful, they've got their pick of, of choices. We talk to a lot of employers who are frustrated by the low number of applications they're getting for some positions. And what we encourage them to do is to take a look at their hiring practices, even making basic changes like writing job postings in clear language, using a a job title that a civilian outside the company can understand, listing salary ranges. These uh, simple steps can make a huge difference in increasing the number of applications. There are other steps we can talk about as part of the hiring process that uh, particularly interviews, but let's talk about job seekers Mm -hmm. from their point of view for the people who are well-educated, have uh, highly desirable skills, particularly in the technology fields and similar industries. It's a really good time to look for work. Whatever your qualifications, I still find people who get frustrated with their job search. They say it takes too long. They find themselves going down a lot of blind alleys and Behind this, Randy, is that most people don't master job hunting as a skill. It's something they take up when they need to. Yeah. 
So we work with a lot of job seekers and helping them understand the steps they can take to get their next job easier and faster. Just the headline here would be, you got to have a goal because Mm. people who know where they want to go have the most success. So let's start from the perspective of the employer, since we were previously talking about that. What are some of the things that employers are doing to get the best candidate in this situation where fewer openings and they need to really make sure that that person is the most qualified candidate? It's ironic. It's never been easier to apply for a job. So even though we see record unemployment rates in most industries, employers are still getting large numbers of applications because technology has made it so much easier to get job alerts and to fire off a a resume and an application. It's almost a completely automated process in many ways. But to step back and look at it from the employer's perspective, I think, first of all, they need to be clear about what they want. Mm. Too many employers use the hiring process as a kind of research project. In Mm. other words, They put job postings out there and they think, well, it would be nice to get this or somebody who knows that. And they ask for everything in the kitchen sink. (laughs) And as a result, they hear from all kinds of people and the employer still has to go through all of those applications to find the right people. But if they're not clear from the start, Randy, about what they want, it's a lot harder to make those choices. So number one, pay attention to the job posting and get clear with the people inside your company about what a manager needs, Mm -hmm. what the desired qualifications are. And let me say this again, it is so important to include a salary range. The reason why is research shows that you will get more applications if you include that, but you're also putting a price tag on the job Hmm. and it sends a very clear signal to applicants, this is what this job pays. So there's no misunderstanding about whether it's meant for a senior person or a mid-level or an entry-level person. The salary range brings a clarity to the position that even the clearest job posting and and the most understandable job title may not. Mm -hmm. So that's the second step. And then when the applications come in, if you've been clear about what you want, you've still got to wade through them but you'll probably get fewer and they'll be the right ones. The next step is do some phone screenings and don't uh, just invite people in uh, top three to five finalists. Invest some time into talking to the candidates. As you do your interviews and as you begin that hiring process, be clear about what's going to happen and by when and who the candidate can talk to. Because while you may end up having, say, phone screening interviews with 10 people, and you'll probably bring in three to five for final interviews and pick one. Every one of those applicants is having an experience with your company and with your brand. And they're going to remember it. And they're going to tell their colleagues, their friends and family about how it went. And so if your company is telling people very clearly about what they can expect in the interviews, who they're going to be meeting with, what the questions might be, what the expectations are. Even if someone is doesn't get the job, if they have a positive experience, they're going to talk about it in positive ways. Hmm. Now, let me just add one last thing. I didn't say this at the start, but it should go without saying that everybody who sends in an application should get a simple acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your application. And if they're not proceeding to the interview, tell them that. Hmm. that you'll create not only confusion, but a lot of ill will toward your, your company's reputation if you don't 
uh, take the time to tell somebody who might have spent an hour, two or three hours preparing an application that their candidacy isn't going to proceed. I like that because it's very important to maintain your your brand and the reputation, even for people who are applying who aren't going to get the job because they may talk to the, the perfect candidate for a future job. And you just never know, do you? You don't. And I, I would challenge your listeners, and I, I expect you've had this experience too. We all know of a company that we wanted to work at, and we sent it an application, and we either didn't get an acknowledgement, or if we did, we're invited in for an interview. I think everybody's had an experience where they never heard back from the hiring manager. Then they had to call, and it was awkward and frustrating, mm-hmm. and it, it leaves a bad taste in the mouth of, of the applicant. And you know they share that experience with others. You know, it's kind of like dating. It's very awkward. You're like, when should I call? Should I call? Do I seem too needy? I don't want to be that way. (laughs) You don't. And so, again, you can create so much goodwill as an employer when you tell people what's going to happen and when. And it's not like it's a secret. Mm -hmm. Hiring managers who are good at hiring have a process. They know exactly who's going to be involved, who's taking part in the interviews, when they're going to happen. And there's no reason why you shouldn't share that information with the candidates. It'll help them prepare better if they know who's going to be in the room, what likely questions are. And as an employer, you're going to get a much better understanding of the applicant's strengths and experiences if you share that information in advance. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest issues I see is how, especially in this day and age, when you have people who have very similar qualifications, do you hire the right person that's going to match with the culture that you built at the organization? It's a great question. And it really, it's a a choice that a hiring manager has to make and they have to follow their instincts here. What I hear from employers that I talk to is that in the end, if you've got two candidates who are equally qualified and have the technical skills, it's the culture fit Mm -hmm. that that matters most. And I, I, employers tell me that uh, they can train people to learn new skills but who we are is who we are. Mm-hmm. And if it's not a good culture fit, people aren't going to change their personalities after they join the payroll. So at 360 Solutions, we actually have a personality assessment called the P60 that we give to people who want to work here. And then we also have several partners who use it when they work with organizations as a way to kind of help in the screening process. We don't want people to use that as the full measure. You know, it's very important to get in front of the person and really get to know them. But if you can look at this quick assessment that shows kind of where their personality strengths are, you can start to identify which group they may fit best with. And one of the things that we definitely do is when we work with organizations, we will do these assessments with everyone who's currently employed as well. So you can start to see trends like, you know, the outgoing person who is really good socially, but also very determined is going to make a great salesperson. And so uh, we can also build benchmarks based on people who are really good at that job. So take the the top performers and then we can look at a new candidate and say, you know, compared to these top performers, this person would be a really great fit or maybe this person is a better fit in the technical department or the marketing department or some other place. Maybe, you know, they're a great employee, but maybe just not in this department. So do you or any companies you've worked with use any sort of uh, pre-employment assessment? It varies, Randy. The service we provide at, at Backslist is to get good candidates in front of employers. Mm-hmm. We do talk to companies about their hiring process and we encourage people, employers, to 
look at fit and to use assessment tools. Also think about their references, which is a, a great way of mm-hmm. getting insights into people's uh, background and interest and, and whether it's a good culture fit or not. But I commend you for doing that because many employers we see when we're talking to them after they've made an unsuccessful hire, they haven't invested the time in reference checks. They mm-hmm. haven't run a thoughtful, transparent hiring process that engages uh, candidates. And if they sometimes if they don't get the culture fit right, people just aren't engaged and they, and they don't stay. And you got to make these kinds of investments and choices uh, if you're an employer, because in the end, I think we both know how expensive it, it is to get hiring wrong. Mm-hmm. And it takes time to find out if you've made a mistake, usually three, six, sometimes nine months. And by that time, you've invested money and energy and helping someone learn a skill and, and learn your company. If you let them go, you're going to have to start all over again. And they leave unhappy and all the the problems and the priorities that you'd set for that you wanted this person to solve and the priorities you wanted them to accomplish are you're going to have to start all over again Mm -hmm. i'm sure you've heard this before being in the space you're in but if you feel like you're running a circus maybe you should stop hiring clowns (laughs) (laughs) yes i have heard that expression and yeah you've got to get it right i think most hiring managers figure out if they do it frequently, they learn how to create these systems and these processes and invest in the kinds of tools you talked about. Many of the employers we work with are small operations. Mm -hmm. Uh, They might have three, five, 10, less than 50 employees. And so hiring is not a frequent event. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it's a job that's given to a, a manager or supervisor who got to be at that company because of their technical skills or knowledge. They haven't been trained in hiring and human resources. And they often don't have, feel as if they don't have the time to learn those skills. And because they only hire maybe once a year, once every several years, if they're learning how to do it on the fly, it's going to take them a long time to master those lessons. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm in a similar boat where I run a small team here. And so any change to the team, I see as a potential shift in a, a major dynamic. And so For me, I think it's very important to not be the only person making the hiring decision and to have other people weigh in and talk to them and really get to know them. And then over time, having them meet with different people, then we can come together, you know, as a group and say, how do you think this person fits our dynamic? So do you think it's important to have more people in on the hiring process? I do, uh, particularly for smaller organizations and the employers that we see you have the most success with hiring who have smaller numbers of employees, say five or 10 or 15. They recognize the point that you're making, which is when you bring somebody in to a team of five or 10, that's a big change in the mm-hmm. personnel do- dynamics. The new person are gonna work with have opinions and, and really do need to be involved. So there's a number of ways you can do that during the hiring process. You can invite people to be part of a hiring committee you should think about doing things that will help someone understand the culture and by perhaps having a, a larger group take someone out to coffee or chat over a drink uh, at a half hour or go to lunch. And this does take time and the work is piling up and you want somebody to begin tackling it. But remember this, the person you hire, you're going to end up spending 2,000 plus hours a year with. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, that's more time you spend, <laughs> most of us spend with our, our children and our spouses. Mm. And so I'm a big believer in, you know, investing the time to get it right. We all know the expression, hire slow, fire fast. But there's there's real value in spending four, six, even eight weeks on a process that allows more involvement by your team and taps into those assessment tools you were talking about. Because in the end, if you don't get it right, you're going to spend a lot of time fixing the problem. Okay, so I like that hire slow, fire fast. Is the fast because, you know, if it's definitely not going to fit, if you're going to drag it out, it's going to cause more problems for your organization? Yes. So think about it. You've hired somebody, it's month two or three, and despite your best efforts to vet this person, you've checked the references, you've involved the team in the hiring process, so you've gotten people's opinion, it's not working. Mm -hmm. And your first step, obviously, is, is to make sure that as an employer that you're giving feedback to the employee and giving them the opportunity to make corrections and the support and the training they need to be mm -hmm. successful. But if by month three, four, five, that's not working and you have followed a process uh, as I've described, you really need to step back and think about bringing that process to a close mm -hmm. because it's not going to serve the company well, and it's not going to serve the person well. Mm -hmm. If they're not thriving there and, and you've provided the support and the direction and the management that they need, 99.9% of all people are going to thrive somewhere else. It's just not a good fit. And the sooner you make that choice, I think the better it is for both parties involved. Yeah. So there's a term that I think we're trying to coin here at 360 Solutions. Yeah. Our, our founder says it quite a bit, but he calls the, the people that are just not cut out for your organization crap magnets, <laughs> meaning that <laughs> they, they always seem to be the person, especially if they're not thriving, if they're not enjoying where they are, if they're causing problems in your organization, it's not just a danger to the lost productivity of that one person yeah. or even to losing them, but they will quite often start complaining to other people, trying to get people on their side because right. misery loves company. And so I think it that's does. another reason why it's really important to get them out of there quickly if they're definitely not going to fit because they're going to start taking people to their side as well, right? Yes. And a great question to ask yourself if you're a manager who's hired an employee and it's and you are concerned that it's not working is is ask yourself this how would you feel if that person came into your office that day and said hey i've accepted an offer somewhere else and if you feel a sense of relief and <laughs> even ex exultation that's a sign that this is not working and again our tendency i think as humans is to give people the benefit of the doubt and i i respect this and i'm i've been the recipient of that myself so i'm grateful for it and you should invest the time but again usually after three or four months you can if you are providing the proper support you can tell it's not working here's a story someone told me another founder of a of a hiring site like mine he was talking about the hiring process and he said it's kind of like getting married on the third date <laughs> uh, and if you think about the time commitment that an employee is making when they join your company, they're going to spend you know the next uh, 50 weeks, a year with you. Many employers only have perhaps two conversations, two yeah. in-person meetings before making that offer. So again, invest the time to do it right. And, and it may take you four, six, even eight weeks to find somebody who's a good fit. But 
once you find that person, you want them to stay and grow inside your company. And it could be a, a relationship that will endure for years. And to keep that analogy going, you know, and we've yeah. talked about hiring kind of being like dating. Yes. And now so marriage and marriage. And when you're searching for a job, it's really easy to kind of put up a facade of how great you are. And the, yeah. and it's really hard to see the actual intention of the person who's trying to get the job because they're trying to get a job. They're trying to put their best foot forward. How do you, as an employer, kind of get to see the real person as soon as possible? Are there any tricks to get them to to show who they really are as soon as you can? Well, often employers already have a relationship with candidates or candidates come to them based on the recommendation of others. Mm-hmm. This is, uh, we've been talking about employers, but for job seekers, it's important to understand that most jobs are never posted. There are estimates out there, Randy, that as many as 80% of all positions never appear on any job board. Instead, they're filled by word of mouth through what's called the hidden job market. Mm-hmm. The reason employers do this, and often what they do, even when they publicly post a job, is they take the posting and they reach out to people in their network. And they'll contact colleagues who are leaders of professional associations, peers who are in their field, and they'll send an email or make a phone call and they'll say, hey, I'm looking for somebody to fill this job, send good people my way. If a candidate contacts the employer and says, "Uh, so-and-so suggested I get in touch with you, they're not gonna get the job. They may not even get an interview, but they're gonna get a hard look at their resume. There's a much more likelihood that they're going to move ahead in the job search than somebody who walks in the door cold. To your point, how do you see the full picture of a candidate who's putting their best foot forward? One way that employers manage that is they rely on recommendations from people they trust and know, or they look to people that they've already worked with who they know. For job seekers, your challenge is to understand that and invest time in networking so that you can get in front of employers with those kinds of recommendations too. Would you recommend this sort of situation? So say somebody used to work at a company, they post that there as you know their job history, they give you a reference from that company and you try and talk to somebody else in the company who's not necessarily the reference they gave to see if they can give a less biased opinion of that person. Yes, I do recommend that. When we work with employers, we suggest that when they're considering finalists, they Google those candidates and mm-hmm. not only see what online impression they've left and go down more than three or four pages. Usually five is sufficient, but they should also look on LinkedIn and see who they know who knows that candidate and pick up the phone and call them. You should check the the formal references as well, but you'll get a, a much more complete picture of a candidate if you find people that you who you know and trust who have had some experience with them and and you should also look at the candidates online footprint as well so get all those pictures of you spending way too much time drinking off of there <laughs> <laughs> that's job search 101 and yes you should do that it's important there's research out there randy that shows i think it's more than 90% of all recruiters google finalists for positions mm-hmm. so it's going to happen And what do you want employers to see? Mm -hmm. Uh, Those vacation pictures or a post you wrote for the company blog about your industry? Mm -hmm. So this kind of brings us to an interesting point. Whenever I do these podcasts, I like to talk to my team and say, what would you like to know from the person I'm about to interview? 
And one thing that came up, they said, for an employer, what are some red flags? What do you need to look for to make sure, you know, this person may not be the best fit for you? A number of things. You want to make sure that all the basic materials they submit, applications, resumes, and references check out. Mm -hmm. And if you see gaps in a resume history, you want to draw out the candidate about that and find out what happened. And if they can't explain those gaps, that's that's a red flag. Hmm. If you call references and they aren't glowing, turn away and run. (laughs) Uh, Because remember, these are typically three people that the candidate has supplied and these should be their biggest cheerleaders. So I I think that is a, a big, big red flag. And pay attention to the chemistry in the room. If there are people on your team who meet with a candidate and it's just not connecting, trust the instincts of the people on your team. Mm -hmm. So those would be my three suggestions. Look at, make sure the the references are glowing, uh, make sure that any resume gaps are explained and listen to your team. And I would think previously we were talking about the internet search history. If they oh, have yeah. some interesting pictures up there that maybe show they have a wild side or some uh, yeah. form other life or something you don't know about. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. I work in this world every day, and that just seems so basic to me. But uh, just last summer, Randy, I had a call from someone who asked if I would meet with their summer intern. And I said, of course, uh, for, for an informational interview. And then I Googled the intern and on their Google profile, there's a photograph of them with a cigarette in their mouth. Hmm. And it's okay to smoke. I mean, it's what you do on your own time. It's your business. But it created a, a negative feeling and I th- hmm. because this is how this person is presenting themselves on a professional site. Hmm. And it's it's they're not putting their best foot forward. Again, this was a college student, so I, I cut them some slack. But I would say for professionals, Google yourself and ask yourself what hiring manager would think when they look at photographs or comments maybe you've made about politics on Facebook. These things could be the reason why you're not getting callbacks. And I would also think maybe you'd want to Google yourself with the incognito window. So maybe you're not getting those biased results based on where you are. Maybe you could VPN to be where you are applying if you're applying in another city to see what that city's search results say about you. That's very sophisticated advice, particularly (laughs) about the incognito window. I encourage people to follow it, but at a minimum, just do an ordinary search. It's funny, people don't think about that. We were working with a marketing client and they were upset that they have several locations for their store, but this one was showing up for them in Google search and they want. They said, I want the other one to show up. And we said, well, you're closer to this one. So that's why it shows up. He's like, oh, yeah. it's tracking where I am. So I have a lot of friends who are in technical fields, like mm-hmm. IT related, computer related, and they are facing a lot of situations where they're getting hired for jobs, but they have certain tests they have to complete. Is this something you're seeing more of, especially as these job races get tighter for people with similar skills, you know, showing that you have the skills necessary to get that job? We do see more of that today, though it has been happening in as part of hiring processes for decades, mm-hmm. especially in writing professions. Publications would always give writing tests because... Mm-hmm. You don't want to hire somebody who might have terrific samples, but there's no way to show that you created those samples. You mm-hmm. could be showing someone else's work. It's something that, yeah, it is. It certainly continues to be a trend. And I think the best employers, when they create those tests, they're respectful of the candidate's time. They don't ask, say, for example, a, a candidate for a public relations 
position to put together an entire marketing campaign, but instead they make it an assignment that can be done in a short period of time, whether it's writing or, or software or, or something technical. Usually it's 45 minutes to an hour and it, it's a, an assignment that follows an interview in the office. When you do it in the office, that's showing respect for the candidate because some people, if you give it to them because they want to do well, they might invest many, many hours, even days preparing uh, their response. Mm. That's that's not a good use of a candidate's time. Mm-hmm. You were saying earlier about the hidden job market of people that are getting jobs based on yeah. their network, people they know. And I have definitely found this to be true for myself and for people we've hired. You know, if they're a recommendation from somebody that I know and I respect, I'm going to treat that really well. Um, how do you go about farming your contacts, your, your network for people that can get you that job that you're looking for? It begins by being clear about your goal. You got to know where you want to go and what you want to do. When you're the job candidate, you need to invest time in answering those questions. You can't go out and tell people, I'm open to all options, or I'm not opposed to that, or I could do that. Mm-hmm. The reason you, you can't do that, Randy, is when you say those things, you make it difficult for people to help you. Hmm. They don't know where to send you or what they can do. So you want to instead say to people, I'm doing a search. I'm exploring opportunities in in marketing in Waco, Texas. I'm trying to identify uh, companies that might be hiring or uh, who have recently gotten new clients who are, who are doing interesting work. When you say something like that, people who are listening will start thinking of, people you could talk to. You need to get out and do what are called informational interviews when you're the candidate. And you'd need to go out and once you've identified, say, in this case, um, marketing companies in Waco that have recently gotten new clients or are seen as in the industry, get uh, the names of people at those firms that you can sit down and talk to for 20 to 30 minutes at their office to identify what companies might be hiring, who might uh, need help, it's also a great way to have a conversation about what you have to offer and what objections a hiring manager might have about you. Hmm. Maybe you're new to town. You haven't worked with a local firm. What kind of questions a hiring manager ask about someone with your background who's coming from out of town? And listen and ask for advice from the people you meet about how to overcome those objections. Hmm. When you have those conversations, those informational interviews, a couple of things will happen You'll have an opportunity to introduce yourself, share your story and your goals, and you'll make a a favorable impression if you do it well. And you will if you prepare and and you will. The other thing that will happen is you'll start to get insights into what hiring managers in that field, in that town care about. And that'll help you when you're formally interviewing for jobs. Finally, you'll start to hear about who might be hiring. And that will give you the the opportunity if you ask for introductions to those companies or find ways to get in front of the people at those companies to introduce yourself and apply for those jobs. It's time to do this and it it requires getting good at what are called informational interviews. And you have to, in addition to doing informational interviews, you you should also attend industry events and maybe even consider volunteering in your field. But when you do those things, you'll hear about the jobs that never get posted. Most people, Randy, spend up to 100% of their time looking at job boards. And our time is our most valuable asset. So think about it for a moment. 
if only 20 or perhaps 30 or 40 percent of all jobs are appearing on job boards and we're spending 90 or 100 percent of our time looking at the computer, we're missing out on so many great positions. And the only way you're going to find out about them is to step away from the computer. And I say all this as the owner and operator of a job board, I'm very <laughs> proud of the value we we offer our employers and our, our readers. But I recognize that publicly posted positions are just one part of the job upward market. And good employers don't rely on job postings alone when they're hiring. They tap their networks. They turn to their peers. They ask for help. That's how the system works. And I would say to job seekers, you need to know how the system works and then make the system work for you. You also talked about using professional networks. What kind of networks are you typically looking at, or is it based on kind of the industry you're in, and and what have you found shows the best results? People should pay attention to the professional networks in their industry, and they should join the, the local chapter of the National Professional Association for their occupation, attend events, consider volunteering for committees, or maybe even serving on a board one day. Because when they do those things, it allows them to build relationships with their peers and the leaders in their profession. And again, we've talked about this, employers hire people they know or are recommended to them by people they trust. It's about relationships. Job seekers shouldn't limit themselves just to professional networks. We all live in neighborhoods. We're all involved in different organizations, schools, faith communities, sports groups. All of those are powered by relationships. So when we're unemployed or we're thinking about making a change and looking for a new job, we need to tell not only our professional contacts that we're looking and what our goals are and where we hope to be, but we need to share that with our, our neighbors and in our teammates or people at, at uh, our faith communities. I would also say you do want to ask for help. And if you're clear about what you want, we're wired to help others. In my experience, almost everyone I've met has wanted to be of help to me or the people I work with during a job search. But good networkers also give, and they give without any expectation of getting anything in return. It's not tit for tat. You should be of service to others. And my experience has been, and I see this with so many job seekers and employers too, the more you give, you get so much more back in return. Mm-hmm. I have this personal idea called airport karma, and it's the idea that if someone needs a ride to the airport, I'll always offer on the off chance that maybe I need that at some point. And I think that extends to more than just the airport, but the idea that, you know, I don't have a specific need in mind, but I know that if I feel like I'm helping people out for the most part, when it comes to a situation where I myself am going to need help, it's good to be known as the guy who helps other people, right? It is. And I love that offering rides to the airport, but bringing it back to our professional lives, you should make time for people who want informational interviews or might want to have lunch to talk about their career. That's all a form of mentorship. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when people hear the word mentor, they think of Yoda and think (laughs) you've got to find this guru who's going to be a part of your life for the rest of your life. But Mentorship comes in a lot of different forms, and sometimes it can be just having a cup of coffee or providing a name, making an introduction. You do create good karma when you do that, and I I love the idea of offering anybody a ride to the airport, too. That's (laughs) terrific. So I've had mixed success with professional groups in the past. I'm sure most people have, and I was talking to somebody about that, and they said, why don't you 
try a group that you wouldn't necessarily try usually. Just kind of step outside your comfort zone, something a little more different. And so I've recently been trying the uh, One Million Cups. Have you heard of that? I haven't. Tell me about it. It's mostly for people who are entrepreneurs, who have ideas, and want a venue to promote those and kind of give a presentation in front of peers. And it is a networking in a sense that you can you know, get to know these people who are coming up with innovative ideas in your community. But also you can see from a perspective of, of me who does marketing, maybe I could help them with some of their marketing stuff. Maybe they're not at a stage now where they could pay me, but in the future they could, or maybe it's just a really awesome idea that I, I wanna help out with and I wouldn't have known them otherwise. And it doesn't have to be something that I'm always thinking about a, a bottom line for. It's really the, the biggest benefit for me is knowing the people who are doing innovative things in my city. And they have these chapters of this all over the world and I don't know where they originated from, but I'm, I'm assuming there's one in Portland. That's where you are, right? I am. I'm in Portland, Oregon. I'll have to check it out. It was interesting to me because I, I don't own my own business. I help run a small business and I don't understand business plans as well as maybe I should, things like that. And it was able to just kind of see all these different ideas coming from the community. And really, it's just been fascinating more than anything else. What I love about that story is that it's giving you a chance to do things that you might not normally do in your professional life, but also it's putting you in contact with people that you might not see in your occupation. That's a great way to do it. There are certainly service clubs too, business service mm -hmm. clubs like Rotary and Lions. Yeah that provide that opportunity as well. Yeah, I've got several friends that are Masons here. It's kind of a, all similarly where, if, you know, the more people you know, the more people could potentially help you and the more people you could potentially help, right? As an employer or a job seeker, often the best leads, both for candidates and for jobs, come from what are called weak ties. These are people who don't know you particularly well and they may not be in your occupation or your neighborhood. Uh, they're people that, you've either run across through an organization like you've described, or you've been introduced to them by someone who's introduced you to someone who's introduced you to someone. So mm -hmm. it's a second or even a third degree connection. The organization you're, that you're describing just uh, helps you make that happen uh, and helps you get out of sort of a bubble and in front of people who you might not normally meet. And that's a great way to find about out about jobs or uh, to find candidates. Excellent. Well, we're getting close to time. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to go over? The main thing I think would be, and we've touched on this, Randy, is how both employers and job candidates spend their time. Hmm. If most jobs are never advertised, too many people are spending 90 or even 100% of their time looking at, at the advertised positions. They're missing out on so many opportunities. Hmm. The same is true for employers. Too many employers stop their search process uh, by when they publish a listing on big national board, maybe a local Craigslist site or one or two others. The employers who get the best results leverage their networks and get the word out. They, they mimic what good, effective job seekers are doing. They spend time talking to people in their networks. So pay attention to how you spend your time and don't stop at the traditional sourcing strategies. Step away from the computer. Go out and talk to people. Is it okay? Because I've, I've done this with mixed results as well. I moved here from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And when I first got here, I didn't know anybody. 
So I just thought of the companies and the places where I'd want to work. And I just showed up with some resumes. I, I checked to see if they had any listings online. And if they didn't, I just said, you know, I just thought your company was really cool and innovative. It's an organization I think I could help and I'd love to help. And if you have openings in the future, let me know. And how did that go for you? Mixed results. Like I said, some people are like, um, yeah, we're, we're fine. We have enough people. And, and some were like, oh, that's that's very good. Yeah, maybe if we have something, we'll, we'll call you. Didn't get any actual callbacks, but I did feel like I probably made more of an impression than if I just submitted an application online or if I just took the fact that they didn't have any postings as uh, you know a brick wall so for, for me not to contact them anymore. The great thing about that story is you knew the companies that you wanted to work at and you made the effort to reach out to them and make contact. The only suggestion I'd have for you or, or for someone considering that approach is thanks to LinkedIn, you can identify people that you actually know inside those companies mm. or people who know people. What I would suggest is, yes, make a list of companies that, you're, that are cool that you work at. Yes, reach out to them. But don't just go to the reception desk. Instead, do some homework because mm -hmm. job hunting and hiring are both research projects. Right. Do some homework. Find people you either know inside those firms or who can introduce you to those people. Then send out an email and ask for 20 to 30 minutes of their time at their office. Provide specific dates and times when you could come by and ask them for the opportunity to talk more about the company, its challenges, its needs, and how their hiring processes work. You're not asking for a job, but what you are doing is you're building a relationship, you're introducing yourself, you're sharing your resume, and if you have enough of those calls, you will create a good impression. People will start to tell you about jobs that are, are never advertised, and you can reverse that too as an, as an hiring manager. You know, if you're, you know you have a position coming up, think about the people you know that know talented workers and who seem to have cool employees and great teams. Start reaching out to them and ask them for suggestions about where you might look for the kinds of people that they've hired, as well as uh, specific suggestions for candidates for the position. Leverage your network, activate that power, and, and you'll see amazing results. Excellent. Well, Mac, if people want to find out more about you and what you're doing, what's the best way for them to contact you? Two places they can go, Randy. One is to the maxlist.org website. They'll find a section for employers with practical information about hiring practices. And for job seekers, there's a job board with positions, again, mostly in the Pacific Northwest. But there's lots and lots of articles, guides, and podcast episodes about how to look for work. So practical advice. And for employers who want to improve their hiring practices, we've set up a special landing page for your listeners, maxlist.org slash high performance. And if listeners go there, they can download a, a simple guide with 10 tips for how to improve their hiring practices. Excellent. Thank you so much. Well, that's a really cool resource for people to have. And I've learned a lot and I'm sure all of our listeners have as well. So thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Every little bit helps. Our website is hpleadershippodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hpleadershippodcast. Follow us on Twitter at hpl underscore podcast. And shoot us an email at podcast at 360solutions.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.